Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Lawrence Talks, a podcast dedicated to exploring local events and introducing philosophical and humanities topics to the general public. I am your host, David Tamez. Today, we continue our coverage of state and local elections, and I would like to welcome Democratic candidate for District 3 of the Douglas County Commission, Shannon Portillo. Shannon, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I really appreciate you providing this space for folks to get to know local candidates. With that, with uh, with that in mind, I sort of like I'd like to begin these discussions discussing the the candidate as the person, in part because, uh, as you mentioned before, we started podcast started started recording, is that we're in a pandemic, and so for a number of reasons, it's hard to get around to meet people and to really get across who you are as as a person, and so I'd like to begin our conversation there. Who is Shannon Portillo, the person? Um, that's such a complicated question. I feel like I've spent the past 35 years trying to figure that out. As a person, curiosity and community are core to who I am. I'm a scholar first and foremost, so I am really fortunate that I grew up close to the University of Kansas, not quite in Lawrence. I can't claim county status. I moved here when I was 16. Um, I've spent most of my adult life here, so I do consider Lawrence home, but I came to Lawrence originally to go to KU, and I was very fortunate to be a part of the Dean Scholars Program there, and that's where I shifted my focus. I grew up, I have really wonderful grandparents who kind of, when we would talk about what I wanted to be growing up, the, the options were really doctor, lawyer, some sort of professional, so I grew up like many Latinx children thinking I was going to go to law school. And I was really fortunate to be a part of the Dean Scholars Program here at KU that opened my eyes to thinking about a research career. So I shifted my focus and decided to study the ways in which the law shapes our communities and the way that law shapes really how we interact as people. And so how our identities are shaped by law and how our identities then impact laws and shape the laws themselves. So I am excited that I get to do what I love. I say all the time that if I won the lottery today, I'd still go back to work tomorrow. And I'm excited that even after five years at George Mason University, where I started my career, I got to come back to Lawrence and really do what I love here at home. Thank you. And, and with that sort of, you, you mentioned your research, and I'd like to discuss that a little bit too with this question, and namely, with your, with your research background and, and what you've been doing professionally, what did you see in our community that sort of drew you to run for office, for local office? Yeah, so a lot of my research focuses on local communities. And before I even considered running for local office, I was involved in doing some research around the discussion of the jail expansion here in Douglas County. And based on the data, based on national trends, based on what we see about expectations around corrections, it doesn't make sense for us to expand our jail. And it never made sense for us to expand our jail before COVID when the commission made um, their vote. So when the commission voted on Kansas Day and despite all of the kind of evidence to the contrary, decided to move forward with the jail expansion, really ignoring what voters had said when they had the chance to weigh in based on the referendum and ignoring the evidence, I decided that it was really a live my values moment. And I needed to not just research the policies from the sidelines and not just kind of try to share my research with those who are elected officials, but that I needed to get in there and be one of the elected officials 
that had a chance to consider the data and consider the voices of our voters. And with we we started this interview or conversation with talking about the pandemic a little bit. With the pandemic ongoing, the number of the terrible effects it's had on a number of members of our of the population, mostly the margin most marginalized in our populations in our communities, it's also going to create a few tough issues or questions when it comes to determining our budget, uh, how we run our our county. Have you thought about what sort of uh, things you would like to prioritize? Uh, because you're going to you're going to have to have or answer those those budget questions a little bit more differently than you would, I guess, without the pandemic. Yeah, I've said throughout my campaign that a community's budget is a reflection of their values. And so we pay for what we care for. And I want to make sure that our budget truly represents the values of accountability, community, and justice. And I think accountability is listening to the voters before the pandemic and now saying that we don't want to invest in mass incarceration. We don't want to invest in a bigger jail, but we do want to invest in our community. And so a budget that shows the value of community, invest in social services, invest in helping the most vulnerable, particularly as we're thinking about pandemic recovery, making sure that we're thinking about how do we use the pandemic relief funds that are coming from the federal government to center the most vulnerable in our community. And I think that a big piece of that is really thinking through justice on multiple levels. So thinking about criminal justice reform, but thinking about housing justice. So We need to consider affordable housing and housing justice in our community. We need to think through climate justice and what we can do to make sure that we invest in our community so that the things that we really value are sustainable. Part of the, I guess, the job of of any commissioner and really any, I would say, person generally is gathering as much data as they possibly can, possibly can, and determining what they should be should should do in a particular situation. What has been your, I guess, your reflections or thoughts about the way Douglas County gathers data and how do you hope to sort of address the issues or, yeah, the, the issues or concerns that uh, many people have and in, in, in the lack of data that we've had? Yeah, so I think that, I mean, I'm a social scientist, so data are incredibly important to me. And I think that one of the ways that we really hold ourselves accountable to community is being transparent with our data. So the Lawrence Journal World just recently put out a story about how our sheriff's office and our police department were behind annual reports. And so those are data that weren't shared with the community. The police department has since released a plan for catching up. And we know that we have a hotly contested sheriff's race right now. A big part of what I think I can do from a county commission standpoint is really show some leadership that these are expectations for other elected officials in our community. So while the sheriff's department is elected separate from the commission, the commission has the opportunity to really influence the sheriff's office through funding and funding mechanisms. And so I think that ensuring that we're providing all the resources and support the sheriff's office needs to make those data available and also getting help where we can. So the Vera Institute has offered to provide free research support for Douglas County. And I think it's important to take them up on that. So we're a pretty, I mean, thinking about us in a national landscape, there are a lot of other communities that are similar to us. So let's go ahead and use the tools that have already been developed 
so that we can make sharing our data more accessible and easier for our community to, um, to really be a part of the decision-making process because they have access to the data. I think that this means that working with Lawrence and also working with the other municipalities in Douglas County with Eudora and Baldwin to make sure that they have the support that they need to develop the kind of data that all of our community members need. Once we do have that data, and as you as you know, as, as a researcher in, in the work that you do, the data doesn't always tell us what, what sort of prescriptions, especially policy prescriptions, we should pass. They, obviously, they can help, and it's, it's a necessary sort of condition in, in terms of that process of determining which policies we should, we should put forward. But at the same time, determining exactly which policies we pass, are, there's a gap between the data and those prescriptions, and that way that the gap is filled is, is a determination or a consideration of values and maybe what we think is the right thing to do generally. So I wanted to ask, once we do have that data, what sort of values do you want to, you, you spoke a little bit about these already, what are any maybe additional values do you want to represent in the decisions you make as, as county commissioner? Yeah, I mean, I think that when we say things like we make data-driven decisions, it doesn't mean that the data make the decisions for us, right? We're, we're people and a big part of leadership is making sure that we're clearly communicating what the data say to our constituents and that we're taking that constituent feedback into account as we're considering the data and as we're making policy decisions. So I mentioned that my big values here are around accountability, community, and justice. So accountability is a two-way street. That means that I'm making sure that the community has access to the data that they need to be really informed and really engaged. And I'm listening to the community when they're telling me what they think we should do with those data. Um, thinking about this from a community perspective, it also means that making sure that we have, that we're translating the data that we have to everyone in the community, we're making it accessible. I think that we often, when we as elected officials or as community officials, public officials, we've often heard from a small number of folks. And I think that a big part of what we need to consider as we're making policies and as we're kind of engaging as a community is that part of what elected officials do, part of what the county, part of what a county commissioner does is appoint folks to various boards and commissions throughout the community. And that's where we get feedback. So for example, the planning commission is in part appointed by the county and by the city. And so I think we need to make sure that we have a diverse set of voices on those commissions and boards. And so part of what I'd like to do is make sure that we have people with diverse lived experiences where they're giving feedback on the policies and what we should be doing with our data. Great, thank you. And, and one of the, not, not issues, but I guess somewhat concerns that I've been thinking about uh, recently is how there's Lawrence and I, I, in, the, in the other counties as well, or the other cities uh, that make up Douglas County, there's Lawrence uh, downtown, and there's Lawrence the urban area and suburbs that we have, and then there's Lawrence in the rural rural sides of of town. How do we make sure that we can represent both of those concerns? Because I think the folks that live in the rural parts of town will have different concerns than those who have uh, who live in the downtown and metro area. 
Yeah, so Lawrence makes up 70% of Douglas County population-wise, but that means that we have 30% of our population that lives outside of Florence in those smaller municipalities, townships, and unincorporated areas. And I think it's important for the commission to hear from everyone. There are a number of ways that we do this. So some of this is that townships have their own elected governments, and we need to work collaboratively with township governments as well as work collaboratively with the Lawrence City Commission and Baldwin and Eudora commissions. I think this also means that we provide really accessible ways for folks to get involved. So, you know, the pandemic has on balance been terrible. It's also shown that we can be really innovative and creative. And so the fact that we've been able to hold forums and listening sessions and things like that over Zoom, while we do have the digital divide that we need to be really conscious of, it's allowed for some accessibility where folks may not have been able to participate. If coming into Lawrence from the rural areas takes more time, thinking about childcare, thinking about all kinds of access issues, I think we can kind of emerge from the pandemic with a more accessible mindset of how we engage constituents outside of the urban core of Lawrence and how we can be really intentional to use technology to our advantage in that. And this next question kind of goes to a little bit what we've discussed so far, and that's accountability and listening to the public when there are serious concerns that they might have. But it's, it's, and, and generally speaking, public opinion is a very powerful and important check on, on power and the direction that government, federal or, or local, takes and goes policy-wise. At the same time, there might be a time when there's a gap or some serious uh, substantive concerns about what the commissioner, you as a commissioner, might think is the right thing to do and what public is a, what public opinion is saying that uh, you ought to do. What are some ways that you can sort of balance the, or address those concerns or address that disconnect in, in the, or difference between public opinion and what you think is the right thing to do? So I think that listening to the voters and listening to the community is vitally important as an elected official. And in this position, I would be asked to represent my constituents and the community. And so to me, that also means not just centering those who've been traditionally in power, but ensuring that we're listening to all members of our community. So I think to your point about when not to listen, I don't think there's ever really an appropriate time to ignore the will of the voters and the will of our community. I will say that as an elected official, it's my responsibility to make the case for policies and programs that the data support and that I support. And if I can't make that argument to convince voters that it's in their best interest, then it doesn't make sense to move forward without them. And I think that's something that we saw the commission try to do with the jail expansion. And it's something that I don't think was the right move. We need to make sure that our community is on board to move with us. And that means that I as an elected official need to do my due diligence of listening to the community and ensuring that I'm representing their values and their desires and not just imposing my own in that space. One concern I kind of wanted to discuss and especially because this is the research that you that you you focus on is there there are some concerns I guess uh, regarding jail expansion that not putting money towards that uh, project 
couldn't tell not giving the law enforcement the help or resources that they need to do to do their job properly. Are you able to address some of those concerns and say maybe that not putting money towards the jail expansion doesn't necessarily entail not giving law enforcement the resources that they need? Definitely. I think that the way that we give law enforcement the resources that they need is making sure that they're really focused where they're needed. And so when I say I don't want to fund the jail expansion, that doesn't mean that it's that I don't want to fund things that will make the jail a more humane space. So for example, we know that the HVAC unit in the jail needs to be replaced. I think that it makes sense for us to invest the funds to do that because it has to do with making it a more humane space. It doesn't mean that we need to expand the number of beds and the number of people that we can put into the jail. So I think actually we're supporting law enforcement when we support mental health care, behavioral health care, when we fund social services, and when we think about the ways in which we can build all of the social infrastructure in our community that helps folks avoid becoming entangled in the criminal legal system to begin with. So when I say that we shouldn't expand the jail, I mean just that, we shouldn't expand the jail. That doesn't mean that we don't need to fund some of the basic upkeep and maintenance on community infrastructure, and that includes the jail. But we really should be allocating our funding in ways that we can support the community and keep them out of the criminal justice system in the first place. And so I think our community was really clear when they voted against the jail expansion, but then voted for increasing our sales tax to fund behavioral and mental health care. And that, I think, is something that we need to continue to reinforce with our budgetary decisions at the county level. And I think one of the issues that was maybe has driven the rise in the uh jail population was a number of things, but one of them tends uh, seems to have been maybe a, a disconnect or lack of, of uh, communication between the offices that use the jail. Um, how do you hope to address uh, those those communication concerns and and ensuring that we do uh, that jail population does stay low? I mean, one of the biggest concerns has been the discussion around the Lawrence Police Department is the number one user of the Douglas County Jail. And so this is a really complicated issue where we have Douglas County at the county level responsible for the jail, but then the city of Lawrence and the police department as one department within the city is being one of the primary users of the jail. And I think this really comes down to collaboration and building relationships with leaders in the cities as well as in the county. So I think this is about building relationships through new leadership and making sure that we're reaching out to the city and the city knows that we should be communicating about things like public safety as a whole community across different jurisdictions. And so using the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council, which includes folks from the municipalities as well as the county in a more productive way to say, let's figure out how to problem solve rather than just a way for the county to move forward with policies without the input from the users of those policies and institutions. One of the areas that that your work falls in, if I'm not mistaken, is sort of, and as I think you mentioned at the beginning, is taking a look of how law shapes, one, how we view ourselves, how it shapes uh, human behavior, and it sort of involves 
these social, social involves and creates maybe so, uh, social norms and how we govern and sort of policies decisions that we make. What would you say is are are the norms that kind of lead to jail populations increasing and what sort of shift do we need to see in, in terms of policymaking? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some really specific shifts that we can make. And my work on Governor Kelly's Commission for Racial Equity and Justice, I think will help inform a lot of this kind of at the state level as well as at the county level. And we're really looking at how we can shape this on multiple levels. So first of all, we need to think about what do we see as crimes in our community? And we need to make sure that we're not criminalizing homelessness, that we're not criminalizing poverty. And so I would say that one thing we need to be working towards is the elimination of cash bail. And there are some kind of immediate steps that we can do for that. One is electing a district attorney who won't ask for um, large sums when in front of judges. And another is advocacy at the state level to reform some of the statutes that we have around bail throughout our state. But I think that a big part of what we can do is really take a hard look at the policies that are currently in place at the county and throughout our cities in Douglas County to say, are we criminalizing homelessness? Are we criminalizing poverty? And how do we move away from that? And instead of thinking about those with a law enforcement lens, how do we think about it with a social support lens? And the city is taking up some of that by thinking about the camping ordinances. And I think the county can take up some of that by thinking about what we invest in in our community and how we're going about doing that work. And one of the one of the sort of remaining questions I have are what sort of metric do you think is fair to judge or would you like to be judged by as a county commissioner, especially when it comes to maybe your reelection or at the end of your term? What do you hope to have accomplished and what do you hope for, uh, people will judge you by, by, by the end of your, your term? Yeah, I mean, as a social scientist, metrics are really important to me. We have to be able to prove that we've succeeded in our mission and kind of moved closer to our values and our ideals. So when I leave office, I wanna leave behind a legacy of increased voter engagement and participation. So increased community engagement throughout Douglas County. We've already seen record turnout in mail-in ballot requests this cycle. So um, the county clerk mentioned that we've had over 17,000 requests for mail-in ballots, where previously during primaries, we see voter turnout of less than 3,000. So while this may have something to do with the, the fact that we're in a pandemic, so folks are kind of at home and it's easier for them to engage when they see social media posts and things like that, I think that we can get through the pandemic and not lose momentum. I think that we need to have that momentum of community engagement through the ballot box, but also community engagement in our local meetings, through boards and commissions. So I'd like to be judged by the number of new voices I'm able to bring into the conversation at the county level. I've mentioned that as a commission, we're responsible for appointing people to several boards like the planning commission. And historically, commissioners have relied on their own networks to fill these appointments. So looking historically, the commission has largely been of a certain demographic, which means that a lot of individuals appointed happen to look like them. And a diversity of people and lived experiences is going to be critical for our community moving forward. 
So I'd like to be judged by who we see in leadership at the end of my first term. One of the other issues I wanted to address in our conversation today was I think many people are in agreement that there needs there are necessary changes that need to be made in our uh, local governance and our local policies, especially regarding racial injustice. But one of the issues I've I've come to find and that I've seen discussed in other in other forums, not just here but elsewhere, is that sometimes these issues we lose track and we stop discussing these issues. And so I wanted to put this question towards you is how do we how we do we continue keeping these issue issues at the forefront not so much that we ignore others but also try to as much as possible to keep having these conversations yeah so i would say that there are two pieces of that question and this discussion really important and the first is how do we make sure that we're centering issues of racial justice even when we're not in moments of social disrest like we are right now. And I would say that we actually, even when we're not talking about issues of race every day, day in and day out, our policies do affect race every day, day in and day out. And so things like housing policy, housing policy is always racialized. Things like climate justice, climate justice is racial justice. I think that when we're centering the most vulnerable in our community, we're actually able to see how these things are really interconnected. And so I would say that if we're, if we're doing policy the right way, we're actually always considering aspects of racial justice and social justice. Part of making sure that we don't lose focus or we don't stop explicitly having these conversations is by thinking about who we have in the room and who we have in leadership. And so that goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier for some of those appointed boards and commissions that the county commission is in charge of. How do we make sure that we have racial and ethnic diversity on our planning commission? How do we make sure that we have racial and ethnic diversity um, in our health department or on boards that govern Lawrence Memorial Hospital? And so how do we make sure that we have the diversity and voices that we need so that conversations around racial justice are always embedded in all of our policy discussions and all of our leadership discussions. So twofold, when we don't talk about it, race is always at play. And it's just that right now we're in a moment where we're being really explicit in asking for racial justice, but that needs to be every moment of what we do from a policy perspective. And I think that we ensure that we're, we keep these conversations going by having diverse leadership throughout our community. And one, one of the other things I wanted to discuss with you and, and or get, have you talk about is you're taking part in Governor Kelly's Commission on Racial Equity. I can imagine a number of, I mean, you spoke to a number of issues that it's going to focus on. But what are, what are some of the things that or questions it's, I guess, concerned with and, and concerned with addressing and how important is it, is it that you're also a county commissioner while also serving on this commission as well? Governor Kelly's Commission on Racial Equity and Justice has been tasked first and foremost to look at law enforcement and how we can consider law enforcement and racial justice across the state of Kansas. But we know that law enforcement is just one aspect of our community. So we're looking really broadly to consider issues of racial justice and racial equity throughout the state. And so I'm excited that in, out of our first, we identified a number of really important topics and issues. And 
One of those is going to be considering public defense in our state. So right now we have public defenders are organized in really different ways depending on community at that county level. So there's no public defender's office in Douglas County. And we're a pretty large county to not have a public defender's office. Right now we have an appointments list. And when you have something like a public defender's office, you have an institution that's organized with resources to respond to indigent defense. And I think we need to consider what the best what's the best policy choice across the state for how we consider indigent defense. And the commission will be hearing from public defenders across the state and federal public defenders, and will be making a policy recommendation that will go to the legislature to say, hey, here, here are some improvements that we can make across the state. What we'll ultimately end up with in December is a report that makes really specific recommendations to the governor's office on things that she can move forward through executive order and through her administrative agencies, and then policy recommendations that she can take to the legislature to try to work cooperatively with the legislative branch to make policy change. And then also some recommendations for local governments because most law enforcement happens at the local level through cities and counties. So I think it'll be important that I have the county perspective when I'm in that role and writing that report, thinking about how we consider this at the county level, but then also the report will come out in December and the commission will go on through 2022. And a big part of what we'll be doing is looking at implementation of those recommendations. And so being in a position of county leadership will allow me the space to really think about how Douglas County can implement some of those recommendations at the local level and make sure that we're pushing towards racial equity and justice here at home as well as throughout the state. So one one thing I want to, before I let you go, is I guess give voice to anything that we haven't been able to discuss so far and that you would like our listeners to, to take away from, from our discussion today. Well, so far I've really enjoyed your questions. I think we've covered <laughs> a lot of ground, so I appreciate yeah. that. I would say that for me, it's really important that we think about community engagement and we think about voter engagement. And so the deadline has passed for folks to request their mail-in ballot or for folks to register for the primary, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't register. There's still time to register before the general. And you have until July 28th to request your mail-in ballot. So I think it's incredibly important that people participate in the process because it's local elected officials that make a lot of the policies that affect us day to day. And so I've been really proud to see folks throughout our community making their voices heard when it comes to requests for criminal justice reform. And I hope that we use the ballot box as just one more tool to continue to push towards a agenda of social equity and social justice. Well, Shannon, I want, I want to thank you for joining me here today. And before, for anyone who wants to know more about Shannon and, and her campaign, you can go to shannonfordouglascounty.org. Again, that's shannonfordouglascounty.org. And there's also the Justice Ticket website that you can find all the members of the Justice Ticket. Don't have it on me right now. It's dgcojusticeticket.com. dgcojusticeticket.com. Yes, yeah, so you can go there as well uh, to learn more about all the those on the just, Justice Ticket. Again, Shannon, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. 
And thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the next episode of Thorns Talks.